Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And welcome back to Overnight America. I'm Ryan Recker. You can find me on Facebook. If you hate Facebook but still find yourself on it, then give my page a like just to stick it to Facebook. <laughs> Ryan Recker Radio. I'm going to start a protest where people have to like my page in order to protest. Uh, wouldn't that be great? Protest Facebook by liking me on there. I don't know if that would work, but in theory it could. Uh, joining us now is a partner at Harris Dow Fisher & Young. Brad Young, how are you today? I'm doing great, Ryan. I love your idea. I love it. Uh, if you want to protest Facebook, then go like my page on Facebook. Now, in on the surface, it may sound good, but if you take a step back and realize what I'm really asking people to do, they would say, oh, wait, what? Hold on. Time out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the Supreme Court said, hey, we're going to work on a Monday. Normally, it's Tuesday to decide to do things. They had a couple of different uh, statements and decisions that came out today. I was hoping you could talk about uh, a couple of them. The one that we're looking at first is the Supreme Court loss for Donald Trump revolving around his tax returns in the state of New York. Yeah, exactly. Uh, last July, there was an issue that came before the Supreme Court, and and the, the issue was essentially this. Going back to 1973, there's been legal precedent that a, a president cannot be prosecuted federally for crimes while he or she is president. And that's why, for example, Robert Mueller couldn't uh, specifically said, even if there were evidence of that Trump had committed a crime, he couldn't prosecute the president while he was in office because of this legal precedent going back to 1973. So having said all of that, uh, what came before the Supreme Court uh, last July was whether a sitting president can be prosecuted for state crimes. And the Supreme Court said, yes, that that can move forward. And so in New York, they were uh, issuing subpoenas. Uh, Cyrus Vance, the, the attorney general there in, in New York, was uh, or for uh, city of New York City, was uh, was pressing for charges, at least subpoenas to get Trump's tax records. So the Supreme Court said in July, yes, you can proceed with that, even though Trump is sitting president. So he, the court sent it back down to the lower court to allow President Trump to challenge whether those subpoenas can move forward. So this fast forward in October, this came back before the Supreme Court. Supreme Court said, you know what? We're going to just sip some coffee, maybe some, some, uh, some herbal tea, and we're just going to relax and see what happens in November before we issue our opinion. So mm -hmm. today the court issued a ruling without any justices. We don't know who cited in which fashion. They just summarily uh, rejected an appeal uh, from the lower court in New York that decided that, yes, the prosecution, or at least the subpoena and the grand jury investigation, can move forward with regard to President Trump's taxes since he's no longer a sitting president. Hmm. Did they hold on to this from last year, or is this something that most recently they decided to, uh, to vote on? Um, because I'm curious if Ruth Bader Ginsburg had a role in this. <laughs> well, we don't know. We frankly just don't know. Now, it came up before them in October, so I would suspect that in the absence of a Ouija board, she probably didn't have anything to do with it. Okay, so uh, she would have been but, passed by. Yeah, yeah. so it came up in October, uh, but we don't know exactly when and if, for example, of Justice Amy Coney Barrett had a vote or a say in this. We don't know. Uh, 
But at this point, what we do know is is that uh, the uh, the circuit attorney, or rather the state's attorney in New York, can now proceed with a grand jury investigation into uh, ex-President Trump's tax records. So why do they hide the way the justices vote? That's a great question. It's it's completely up to the court in terms of how they release these. They're, they're, they're the only boundaries are what the court itself decides. And in a decision like this, they technically didn't enter a decision. What they did was is they rejected an appeal from a lower court. So in that type of a decision, you wouldn't necessarily publicize who voted what because they simply rejected the appeal. So when an appeal is rejected, the lower court decision stands. In this instance, the lower court of appeals said it's fine to proceed with the investigation against President Trump with regard to his tax records. Okay, that's interesting. But there has to be someone uh, that knows, but they just don't say. Are they really good oh, at keeping there's secrets? Somebody, there's, there's, there's somebody that knows. Absolutely, there's somebody <laughs> that knows, but it's not us. Okay, well, I didn't know if that was one of those deals where, like, you know, 80 years from now, it'll be disclosed, unclassified or something, but probably not. I wonder what kind of secrets the Supreme Court's holding on to that we don't know about in the vault. <laughs> oh, you know, there's there, there was a book that came out years ago called The Brethren. And the Brethren was one of the first books that attempted to peel back the curtain on how the court works, and uh, and it was very uh, enlightening. It was it came out during the seventies, and uh, and so that book, I think Bob Woodward actually wrote the book called The Brethren. I read it uh, at least once, if not twice, and uh, it, and it talked about the how the informality of the Supreme Court, how they sit around and talk about things and. We don't know whether they still operate that way, but that book was very eye-opening because that was really the first book that explored how the court actually works. Mm-hmm. What do they say to open up a session? There's like it's like oi oi or something like that. Oh yay! Oh yay! Yeah. Um, oh yay! Oh yay! Well, that's yeah, the the, the secret society of the Supreme Court. They say that they have a secret handshake. There's there's all kinds of secretive things that go on. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then they slap hands a couple of times, bump fists uh, virtually, at least yeah. now, as they meet through the uh, cameras and such. Well, th- that wasn't the only thing the Supreme Court released today. There was more. In fact, there was one where Republicans in Pennsylvania were challenging some of the different changes in election law that were leading up to this past election. Yeah. And, 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 and a lot of and, yeah. And a lot of people yeah, were talking about Justice one- Thomas, too. Yeah, this one was just really disturbing to me because uh, with regard to the tax records, that's pretty much black letter law. I mean, there was really no legal reason why if the if the state of New York wants to investigate President Trump for alleged tax violations, they're allowed to do that. And there was no legal reason to prevent them from doing that. So legally, I think that was the right decision, although I'm certain that they're just hounding him because of who he is. But legally, they have a basis to do that. But this is the real stumper here, Ryan, because in in this instance, uh, the, the and I've said it on this show many times over the last few months, that there was a voting irregularity, the only one that I'm aware of that was actually violated the Constitution, and that was in Pennsylvania. Because the state legislature in Pennsylvania said that mail-in ballots have to be received by Election Day. And a court came and said, no, 
we're going to extend that by three days because uh, we don't think that that's fair. So we're going to if as long as it's postmarked by Election Day, then we'll uh, count those votes as long as they're received within three days. The reason why I think that decision was wrong was because Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution specifically empowers, and it says it specifically, the state legislature determines the manner of an election. So that decision to extend the time to receive the ballots uh, violated what the state legislature stated with regard to how mail-in ballots would be counted. But the Court of Appeals said, no, that was fine. So this was appealed up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court decided not to hear that appeal. And Mm. in a rare rebuke on a case like this, we actually had opinions from Alito and from Gorsuch and from Justice Thomas stating that this is simply a wrong decision. And I, I really agree with the dissent on this because it violates the exact wording of the Constitution. It was interesting about this, and I was reading some of the comments from Justice uh, Thomas, and the thing that stands out to me, and I look at this, it's they said uh, at the time they didn't want to step into the election by itself, right? They didn't want to change any of the election results or whatever. And then we come after the fact and they say, well, you know, it's already passed. So, you know, why would we do it now? And it wouldn't have changed anything anyway. And just as Thomas comes out and says for the future and for the sake of all future elections, if you're not going to do it then and you refuse to do it now, when would there be a proper time to do it? Like If, if you're saying there's, mm-hmm. there's no way to challenge this, it's it, to me, I look at that and say, why wouldn't you step in now? I mean, this would be the yeah. time to do it. Well, there's a long-standing concept at the Supreme Court level. It goes back to the, the original uh, Supreme Court, and that is that the, the Supreme Court doesn't want to decide a case that's no longer in controversy. Okay? So there's a concept for that. It's called the, the, the doctrine of mootness, moot, M-O-O-T. And so if, if a decision doesn't really have any bearing on the outcome of the litigants, then the court doesn't want to hear it. So from my perspective, I see the Supreme Court, even Justice Barrett uh, as as being one of them, and uh, certainly Kavanaugh as being another, looked at this and said, Trump has lost, the outcome of the election is known, and so really the idea of whether or not Pennsylvania did or did not violate the Constitution and how they counted the mail-in ballots, it's moot in terms of the outcome of the election. So we're just not going to take it. But I disagree with that. And I also disagree with the analysis in the mainstream media that was stating that uh, Clarence Thomas was promoting Trump's voter fraud lies. And and there there, there was no such thing as that. He wasn't. Justice Thomas was not promoting any lies. He was simply stating that the decision in Pennsylvania disagrees with the literal wording of the Constitution. He wasn't stating anything about Dominion software. He wasn't stating that he slept on a my pillow for Mike Lindell. <laughs> he wasn't stating that he's secretly dating Sidney Powell. I mean, he didn't say any of those things. He was simply stating that it violates the Constitution, and I agree with him. Yeah, and he even mentioned some pretty clear examples, meaning they said they would extend it, but then again, you still accepted ballots that had no postmark and no way to tell if they were even submitted before the election. So uh, these are things that are pretty serious when it comes to the integrity of elections, accepting 
things that have no way to be verified if they were actually returned or submitted on time. And then again, on the uh, level of the state, they talk about how the how flexible that time could be. The acceptance of when these ballots could come in and how it just makes it and opens up an opportunity for so much uh, problems in the future. And I agree with Justice Thomas when I read that. I said, uh, this mm-hmm. is exactly what you want to try to uh, because what are you going to do? You're going to wait for another an election. So there's another dispute. Or why wouldn't you just want to settle it now, knowing that we're talking about something as serious as a presidential election? You don't want to have to uh, have this happen over and over again. Right. Yeah. And my other concern, frankly, is that right now we have a clear majority of justices at the Supreme Court who believe that the words of the Constitution mean something. And they may, that may not be the case the next time this comes up as a constitutional issue, particularly if uh, a lot of the Democrats right now are advocating what's called court packing, which means they could nominate and expand the number of justices on the Supreme Court. If they do that, you're going to have a majority on the Supreme Court uh, that believe that the Constitution is a, quote, living document, meaning it should be molded and changed in terms of contemporary current standards as opposed to the wording, literal wording of the Constitution. So my feeling is now's the time. I mean, if any time is, it's now. And I just disagree with Justice Barrett and Justice Kavanaugh, who decide, who declined to sign on to this because we need this clarified and we need it clarified now. Wow. So I think that's a great way to put it. So, uh, Brad Young, partner at Hairstyle Fisher & Young, do you have any appearances coming up this week? Are you going to be with Hancock & Kelly or anything like that? Uh, not, not that I know of. Not this week, unless they uh, call me at the last minute. If they need uh, you know 20 minutes of air time to fill, I might get a phone call on Friday morning. But at this point, nothing scheduled. You mean like me? I'm not. I'm the only. I thought I was the only one that did that to you. <laughs> oh no! I, I get lots of uh, texts uh, early on Friday morning saying, "Are you available in three minutes?" So uh, that, that's not uncommon. Brad Young, partner at Harris Dahl, Fisher and Young. Thank you so much for coming on to Overnight America tonight. My pleasure, Ryan. As always. I really don't think there's anyone that explains it better than Brad. He is just fantastic. He joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. It's Overnight America KMOX. St. Louis's traffic station, KMOX. I saw this one story that's been circulating around, and you heard Sean bring it up there at the top of the hour news. It has to do with a woman that has now been identified. Her body found in 1982, apparently left home here in St. Louis, 1981, around December, runaway, I think 19 at the time, found her way to Arizona, and the Arizona Department of Public Safety officers were involved with that. It's amazing how just recently they decided to reopen that and get the DNA studied based on what was available evidence-wise in that case. In Valentine Sally, found on Valentine's Day, DNA samples collected It's amazing, too, that you can actually use those DNA samples that were collected those years ago and actually get an accurate readout. It's fascinating to think that through those DNA samples, they're able to track back to family based on the way the databases are. And that scares me uh, on the other side of things, too. I think about those DNA tests and what you are submitting yourself to because now the police (laughs) de facto could find you by running DNA through the system of publicly available information that is being shared on some of these sites. Uh, it just seems like an invasion of privacy. But in this case, it actually helped solve the cold crime. And I know 
I shouldn't be so cynical because there's actually a good outcome here. And 40 years later, they were able to identify the Jane Doe, the Valentine Sally, who went disappearing, uh, disappeared about 40 years ago. Well, close to it, 40 years ago. The thing is, when she left, being an adult, her family didn't report her as missing. They just thought she was gone. And what a mystery to never hear from your child again and to think whatever happened there and just wonder, wonder if they're out there or not know if they're out there. You would think that when there is a case like that that matches a description or the age, if you always have to wonder and how you wouldn't be able to connect those dots if you're a family member. But then again, you might not actually have heard it. The one thing that stood out to me was the last person to see her alive at a rest stop, a gas stop. Uh, here's someone that was reported, and this is back to uh, CBS 5 in Flagstaff, Arizona, who actually talked to the witness some uh, time ago. She seemed very comfortable, very comfortable with this gentleman because I asked her, are you okay here? Do you want to stay here? Do you want to leave with him? And she said, yeah, I'll go with him. Like it was her grandfather her father, uncle, some relative. She was a pretty girl. She really was, and she smiled a lot. The next thing I heard about was that they found a girl in February the 14th, a mile from my restaurant. Yeah, one mile away. And she had siblings and everything else, and you think with the family members. When you hear stories like this, you think, was there family involved? Did they... Did they know? Did they suspect? Did they not say anything? Why wouldn't they say anything? That story uh, you can find online. I was getting that from CBS 5 in Flagstaff, Arizona, who was doing a series on this not that long ago. They were actually talking to some of the investigators and such, but now finally uh, closing that case. It's just, to me, amazing that we even have the technology and the wherewithal to do something like that. As part of the case, the people ran it privately, meaning I don't think they used state resources to do so. They were just trying to, for their own sake, solve this mystery that's been around for all those years. And if you're a police officer, um, if it's been sitting there and you know the file and you want to put some closure onto it, even after you're retired, I can see why they were uh, do something like that. And I don't know what, if the costs are minimal for them to run the DNA or whatever, but uh, luckily they were able to do it. A few other things that we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, on KMOX.com, January 12th is being petitioned to be Rush Limbaugh Day in Missouri, considering he is a Cape Girardeau guy and he had a lot of great love for Missouri, uh, did a lot of great things here in the state of Missouri, too, and has a great connection to radio in Missouri and KMOX. Sure. I wonder if that's going to work. I think in Missouri it would. Some other states like Florida, there was some pushback to lowering the flags in Rush Limbaugh's honor. Uh, and, and officials, some of them agreed to do it. Some didn't. Some people wonder, is that the official, the right capacity? Now, he was a presidential medal, a Freedom Medal of Honor winner. So that adds something to it a little bit. But he wasn't an elected official. He wasn't a serviceman. Uh, you know, he didn't die in the act of uh, serving the country, something along those lines that you would normally lower the flags for. So there have been some people in Florida, even though that the governor DeSantis said, yeah, you should do it. Uh, some decided not to, and that's become a controversy in Florida. We might talk about that later in the show too. What I want to do is take a break. We're going to take a look at your weather. And after that, Ryan Wiggins is going to join us. He's from our sister station on 97.1. He is one of the co-hosts, uh, producers. He, he does things with the radio station there, but Andy Fry has the uh, midday show there on 97.1. And Ryan Wiggins for the past 12 years has been working on a book. It's a fictional book called The Life of Human. 
And when I found out that he released this book, I said, oh, I'm going to have to do this. But then again, I'm not a giant reader. So I enlisted help on this interview. I said, hey, honey. So my wife decided to read the book. She is going to be a special guest book reviewer and join us on the interview next after the break, too, with uh, Ryan Wiggins on Overnight America KMOX. Cardinal Spring Training is underway in Jupiter, Florida, and KMOX's Mike Claiborne is covering it all. Hear his daily reports, mornings and afternoons, and on Cardinals Open Live, sponsored in part by T.R. Hughes Homes. I'm your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. He's on our sister station, 97.1, as part of Annie Fry's program. Also an author, which is very exciting, and his book now called The Life of Human, Ryan Wiggins. How are you? I'm great, man. I appreciate you uh, having me on here at night. And I have another special guest in studio. I enlisted someone to read this book on my behalf because I wanted to make sure we were able to do a proper review. So my wife, Melissa's here with me, and she read the entire book. And she's going to help aid this interview because uh, she's going to be my step in when it comes to uh, questions about the book. How you doing, Melissa? Hi. I'm doing good. She hates this, by the way. <laughs> I hate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, no pressure because uh, you're on with the author of the book, so you can be completely honest. And I will certainly not come back with any quippy remarks or anything. <laughs> that, is, that's, that probably makes me the most nervous. <laughs> <laughs> right. The book took some time. How long have you been working on this? 2008. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of embarrassing to say you've been working on a novel for 12 years because it's like, dude, you probably weren't actually working on that for 12 years, were you? So I, yeah, a few years here and there to have some kids where I probably didn't get much work done. But yeah, it's amazing how much has changed in the last 12 years, when you look back and, uh, you know, my book's got robots in it and it's about, you know, the nature of what it means to be alive in some ways. And so with technology, man, think about 2008, what we had then versus what we have now and things have changed. So I had to update it quite a bit as I went. I was, um, enlisting my wife because she's an avid reader. I like to brag, uh, on her behalf because I, I feel like it's a large number of books that she reads every year. Like how many books did you read last year, Melissa? I read 93. Okay. 93 books. Wow. She's trying to hit the century club as in a hundred books a year as her goal. And you know, we had a baby last year, so we're allowed to cut her some slack. So she reads a lot of books, and she reviews a lot of books, and she always looks for books that would be interesting to her. So when I told you, or at least you looked up the concept of this book, uh, what did you initially think? Was this something that you would enjoy? Yeah, I love books about, like, a post, like not apocalyptic event. I'm very excited about anything like that. I don't know why. I feel like I'm preparing for the future. And I enjoy sci-fi a lot, which is maybe, I'm probably not your target demo, or at least who you would expect, but... Um, I was really excited to read it. I like books about things taking over the world and people trying to survive. So all those box checked off on a book like this? Yes. Ryan, why did you take robots and all of these things? Is this the type of book, is this the type of content that you like to enjoy and consume yourself? It is. Yeah, I love I love um, stuff about, you know, when everything goes wrong or, you know, like, like Melissa said about uh, post-apocalyptic type environments but honestly i really like the idea of robots um my, you know she could testify my robots are not like modern robots though they're not the you know smart ai that we're talking about now they're they're more like as i describe them in the book more like the the sort of 
goofy 60s version of robots. Um, but somehow everybody in the world kind of has one as their personal helper in this book. And so I've always liked exploring the idea of robots in terms of what it means to sort of have a soul, what it means to be alive. Can you evolve a soul? Can you become alive? Or is it simply something that God bestows upon you or something you're born with? Um, all of that probably sounds quite a bit loftier than the book actually comes across as Melissa read it because there's a lot of really, really goofy comedy in it too. Um, but I, I think we kind of swing the pendulum back and forth between having fun with this kind of goofy concept and treating it seriously too. Yeah, she's mentioned that a few times when she was reading the book and she she mentioned, wow, he's got a weird sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of get it or you don't, right? It's, it's, uh, I, I just was talking to my mom earlier today who's about four chapters in. I didn't let her have a, a beta read copy. She's reading it along with everybody else now and I, I could tell she was just angry at me for the comedic characters because she was like, you know, I really like the story, but there's a couple of characters in here who I just want to punch in the face. And my dad was like, take it easy. <laughs> so I think it's one of those things where either you really enjoy those characters or, or you don't. But, yeah. you know, we'll see. I was um, watching reaction of my wife while she was reading, and I was trying to get updates throughout the uh, course of the book, The Life of Human, which people can find out now. And by the way, what's the best place for people to look up this book if they wanted to get it for themselves? Yep, just Amazon. So you can get the e-reader, the Kindle version on Amazon, or the paperback of Life of Human. She did the e-reader, and it was, uh, you know, it took a couple of days for her. So she was able to, you know, take breaks during The Bachelor when it was on, but otherwise she picked it right back up after. So, um, Melissa, what did you like about the book? Uh, I really enjoyed, I love a book with multiple perspectives, so I enjoyed all the different characters. Um, I love, like, it, it keeps me reading faster, I guess, because, you know, you want to go back to this, I want to get back to this storyline because I really liked it, but then you get caught up in another storyline, and I really enjoy that back and forth. So I enjoyed all the different characters. I don't know how you created them. They're all so different. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one, of the, that's one of the reasons it took 12 years, Melissa, is because <laughs> you start writing one character, and then you got to jump to another, and you got to get a completely different mindset, and it takes a little longer than it should. There was, uh, let's see, all the characters you loved, Melissa, or were there some that uh, you had a problem with? <laughs> uh, the pretend president was <laughs> not my favorite person, but I don't think she was supposed to be. So, um. Yeah, she's uh, completely 100% self-obsessed. Um, you know, I made her a politician because that's the easiest way to make somebody self-obsessed. And uh, yeah, she'll drive you crazy because she does not grow. All the rest of the characters seem to have some sort of an arc where by the end you're like, oh, they've really come a long way. And she is 100% flat, does not change. So how's uh, reception been so far on this book? Uh, it's been great, actually. I think, um, you know, talking to a few people like yourself and, and just getting it out there and letting people find it and review it has been, uh, has been better than I thought it would be. You never know, like, making a book, writing a book nowadays is so different than it used to be because you used to really have to go through the system. And now there's ways around that where authors like myself you can kind of self-publish it. I mean, it's technically through a publishing company, but it's, it's not one of the big ones. You know, it's not Penguin. It's not um, Simon Schuster or whatever. You don't have to go through agents and stuff. You can kind of get it out there on your own. And I, I, I highly recommend if you're writing a book to do it that way and not worry about, you know, uh, going through the proper traditional channels. It's much more fun to just kind of get it out there. And 
if people like it, then it really moves. And, and so I've, I've seen some of that with the life of humans so far that people are typically liking it enough that they're recommending it. So it's doing well. Well, I know since you have done and conducted many different interviews, you understand that one of the important parts of being a guest is that they have to restate the name of their book during the interview multiple times, which I've noticed uh, you picked up that skill, which is good because it means you've been paying attention <laughs> through all these years in radio. You know what it's like to be on the other side of this now. <laughs> yeah, I think, wow, you, you, you totally exposed all of my uh, chicanery here. So, yeah, that's exactly... That's exactly what I'm doing with the life of human, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, audiobook. Have you thought about uh, how you're going to voice some of these robot voices? Have you practiced any? Oh, well, uh, you know, there are no actual robot voices in the book. Well, technically, I guess there would be, but I don't want to give anything away. But, uh, no, the robots in this book don't talk. Yeah, it's just people talking, so it's, it's these nine different characters narrating the story of this one robot human who himself does not talk. So it really it would be a good audio book if I can actually get some voice talent, maybe like yourself, I'd be to terrible play a at part it. in the book. Terrible. Uh, we can we can I, make that happen. I have a uh, mispronunciation problem, so probably one out of every hundred words I'd screw up. So as long as, long as you don't mind that, and then um, okay, it goes to show you this is why I brought my wife along because she's the one that read the book, and I wanted to make sure there were someone that would be knowledgeable in this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I was uh, hoping I can get like a, a robot voice out of you, so I guess that's not going to be appropriate now at this point, which is fine. But either way, when you write all these different voices, is it hard to keep the storylines uh, synced up? Like in your mind, is it difficult to organize all of that? Yeah, it is. I think through about the first four or five chapters, you know, I, I was able to kind of keep track of things. But by chapter four, there are, there are nine characters in the book, and their storylines really diverge. They start to merge together back at the end, which actually makes it more difficult because you've got to keep track of where everybody is and how they meet and you know, what they're going to do. But I have on my wall in my room, which I don't know if my wife's a fan of or not, although my wife's been a big part of helping me do this, I have what I call my serial killer wall um, that just has a giant <laughs> timeline that's like as big as a... a well, it's pretty much the whole wall in my bedroom where I've got uh, this happens here and this happens here and key events and making sure all the characters line up. So, yeah, that was a huge process, but it's also kind of the fun of it, you know, seeing how everything fits together as you're reading it, too. Great. So if you're ever a suspect in a crime and they go in and search your house and they find that wall, you're a goner, man. You're done. Yeah, they're going to say, wait a minute, this guy clearly has killed someone. Because he wouldn't have written all this on his wall if he hadn't. But then they're going to realize, oh, wait, this is a book. And hopefully the whole precinct will buy it. <laughs> <laughs> they buy a box of it like it's Girl Scout yeah. cookies. They're going around and selling it. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> The Life of Human, book by Ryan Wiggins, who's on our sister station, 97.1. Altogether, Melissa, you do good reads and things. You go and you rank books. Is it a scale of one to five? Is that traditionally how book nerds handle this? Yes. Okay, so what did you rank this uh, on a scale of one to five? I gave it four stars, Ooh. which means I really liked it. Um, again, I'm not the target demo, I'm sure, but I did really enjoy it, and I thought it was a lot of fun. And I like an, uh, There was like a little hint of an open like ending where there could be more, and I really love that in a book. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, one, of the, uh, <laughs> that's one of the sort of the spoilers that I've apparently avoided giving out on my interviews because uh, you're the first person to mention it. So thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's one of the most exciting parts of the book to me is that yeah, there could be more to come depending on, um, you know, the success of this one. But 
Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a few plot twists in there that I don't know if Melissa, you saw that one coming. My wife said she caught, saw it coming a mile away. But, <laughs> no, uh, I was surprised. I was, I was like, oh, that's interesting, it. and that made me maybe kept you know more excited to finish the book to see what oh, happens. Oh, plot twists. Okay, so this is good. So you're not actually ruining anything. Because a book with plot twist is not something that's going to ruin a book. And to say it's open-ended also, this is good. But let me point out, when your kids are getting ready for college, that's about the time the second book will come out based on the amount of time it takes to write one of these. Yeah, what, 2035, something like that? <laughs> Sounds like uh, a good target date for the next one. So, so get in now. <laughs> yeah, we'll- yeah. I got to say, people wanted to check out this book on Amazon. They can find it by Ryan Wiggins. He's on our sister station, 97.1, as part of Annie Fry's show. The Life of Human is out online. And again, uh, Amazon, Ryan, that's the best place to go. Amazon's the spot for the e reader, Kindle version, or the paperback. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Do you want to put my wife on the spot about anything to make her nervous? Because she hates doing this, by the way. Uh, yeah, I would love to ask her one question. And that is, uh, at what point did you really, really want to punch the president of the United States Tourism Bureau in the face? I was right in the beginning. She drove me crazy. I was like, I, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep reading this book. But then it's changed. There's so many other different. I think she was like the second or third character that showed up. But then there were so many other ones. I was like, OK, we don't go back to her too much. But then she was on the island and I was holding the baby and I, I feel like I was half asleep. I was like, what is going on in this island? I was so confused. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, oh, I was just like, that. I just got to uh, ignore I, this character. You actually have the proper reaction to that character, so bravo. Oh, okay, so great. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Wiggins, thank you so much for joining us tonight on Overnight America. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love Overnight America. Thanks, Ryan. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line on Overnight America, KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Here we are, just uh, sitting back, relaxing on a nice Monday night. And what great guest. Isn't it weird to hear my wife on the show? She was so nervous, you have no idea. She can't handle things. I had to bribe her to do that interview, and I don't think she'll ever do it again. She was so nervous. But I think she did a great job, and she reads 93 books a year. That's a lot of books. I brag on her. And even if we were to take ourselves as a couple and say, okay, we're going to combine the amount of books we read together and then average it out, I think we're still higher, even though I'm just dead weight to her. (laughs) And she even talks about people in her book clubs and circles of readers that read more than her, and they read a lot more than her. And I say, that's not possible because you're constantly reading a book. Do they do anything but read? Maybe Brad Young reads more than that because he has the ability to speed read because of his super skills. And if you're looking at court records and things, I don't know if that counts. But I have uh, told her that all the different children's books I read to my kids, does that count? And she said, no. So the 93 does not include children's books. (laughs) That needs to be clear. A couple of uh, quick stories here. I want to get to that. And then in the next hour, I want to talk about uh, the vaccine. I want to talk about teachers. I want to talk about what's going on when it comes to lockdowns in California, um, COVID in Catholic schools. And are Catholic schools the blueprint of opening up schools? There was a story out of Philadelphia about that. So a lot of these things we're going to get to in the next hour. And yes, we will take some of your calls, open things up for you. That'll make it a lot easier. But I saw this one story over online. I think it was on Fox's website 
But spaceweather.com is an astronomy site, and they're reporting that there's going to be another one of these solar flares that are going to be hitting us February 23rd or 24th. So if you're up far north in Canada, maybe listening to this in Winnipeg or something, there's a chance that you could be seeing a little northern lights going down. It could even possibly stretch to southern Canada. So maybe Charlie up in Minnesota might get lucky if it pushes farther than that even. So it's one of those different solar blasts that are coming through. We get a lot of them. I would love to experience and see this one day with my own eyes to see the northern lights. I just don't know if I'll ever be able to do it. I keep telling my wife that, and she says, then take us on vacation. Take us up north. Uh, no, I don't think so. Last night, we hook up with our friends in Canada on the shift, and I was talking to John Jang, who was hosting the shift, and they're all across Canada. They're on several stations through the, the Chorus Radio Network. And they were talking about the restrictions of what happens when you travel into Canada. You have to quarantine at a special location designated by the government. Not all hotels participate in this. You can't just go to a cheap hotel. He was saying some places you go into, it's $2,000 a night to quarantine if you're traveling into Canada. So think about that. Uh, If you were thinking about going up and seeing something like this by yourself, uh, once you get there, you're going to have to quarantine in one of their hotels that they designate for up to $2,000 a night. Why would you travel to Canada? Or if you're in Canada, why would you leave and come back? My goodness. I'm talking about t- really taking that too far when it comes to COVID restrictions. Uh, so that's what's going down. I guess if you're naturally up that north, you could be seeing something pretty cool. Here in St. Louis, I saw on Fox 2, they talked to the zoo about what these frigid temperatures could mean for some of the bugs in the area. I thought that was interesting. Some of our biggest pests are very susceptible to cold. The marmorated stink bug, which is now here in this area and introduced exotic species, um, they are very susceptible to cold weather. If the- See you later, stink bug. So if they were outside, this cold should have killed them off. Isn't that good news? If these bugs are outside, then the freezing weather kills them. But the reason why they're a problem in the first place, they try to avoid the cold. They come into our houses. I know. You ever find one of those bad boys in the house? You're just innocently sitting around and then you hear it like a little buzz sound. You're like, oh, great. Now I got to find it. There was one that was in our bedroom. And this is back when we had that issue with the bat. And my son freaked out. He said, oh, he yelled and screamed. I thought for sure the bat returned. I ran in there. It was one of these bugs. He's just pretty nervous. Asian ladybugs do the same thing. They come into your houses in numbers. Uh, the box elder bugs and others. They have found ways to hibernate. This is why we need to keep our houses tight to keep these insects from coming in to hibernate. Another. I don't want any of that. Yeah, this gives me just more incentive to go around. When I had someone come out to check the attic to see if I had any bats, which we didn't, luckily. He said that, okay, good, that saves you a couple thousand dollars because it's expensive to remove bats out of the house because you have to seal the house, inspect, set up the traps, and then naturally get the uh, bats out. It's a lot of labor. But he said what happens in some of these older homes is that where the brick ends and the rest of the house goes, so you know the brick normally, at least in our house, goes up so high and it's only on part of the uh, house, it's not fully bricked all the way around, that you have to seal those things because if there's any... Like it's a tough spot to actually witness if there's a hole uh, big enough for a bat to go in there. So what they normally do is they set they they go around the entire house, they seal it off. And if they find a hole that's large enough for bats, they say, okay, that's probably where it got in. That's where they set the traps up. 
So when the temperatures get a little bit warmer, I got to go around and I got to just caulk the whole thing, just really seal the outside of the house and make sure there's not any funny business going down there. And I'm hoping the side effect will also be that there's no bugs that find their way in. We don't get a lot of bugs in our home, but then again, um, who knows what goes on behind the walls or things that you can't see. So luckily we, we're not uh, faced with this problem, but they also say there's some unintended consequences. Another issue. Cold weather tends to often harm the beneficials more than the pests sometimes. So those sorts of predators which control the pests. Yeah, those predators out there that help control the pests uh, also dying off, which is not good. So you might have more mosquitoes, bugs, other things like that. They said that you should rake some leaves and leave it like as a habitat to try to save some of those bugs' lives. I'm going to pass on that. Got another hour coming up on Overnight America KMOX. KMOX.